0: And I'm going to take your prediction of my predictions. <laughs> and I'm going to take it and take it to the next level. Fine, then. You could restore. Hi and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host W. Curtis Preston, aka Mister Backup, and I have with me my reindeer walker persona, Maliandi. How's it going, persona?
1: Reindeer walkers?
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I looked up I looked up random weird job titles. That one stuck out to me. That's a job title of an actual job somewhere. Then does that mean that Santa is a reindeer walker? Santa has yeah. Santa probably has multiple reindeer walkers.
1: No, 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 buddy. Is he a reindeer walker technically?
0: No, he would need a reindeer walker. He's not going to walk the. He he has people. He walks his
1: reindeers. Does that not make him a reindeer walker?
0: No, because it's his reindeer. It's only if it's a job. I can't believe we're talking about this. <laughs> Does that really surprise you? It's like if you if you have if you have too many reindeers or you're too busy, you hire a reindeer walker.
1: Gotcha. So for like eleven months out of the year, eleven months and thirty days out of the year, he probably has a reindeer walker.
0: Right. This is what I'm saying. Be, be glad. I, I, I another one of the one of the jobs titles is hair boiler, someone who boils animal hair until it curls. That's a job. And then, what is it used for? It says for use in a variety of products. So there you go. Interesting. So I decided to make you my reindeer walker today. <laughs> We're going to do our predictions episode. Wait, do we We, we have any other? That, that's enough nonsense. Okay. So a bit of an editor's note here. We wanted to do a predictions episode for 2021. And when we recorded this episode, <laughs> we launched into what became a 15-minute discussion about my upcoming dry aging meats project. And it just was way too long and and didn't really have anything to do with 2021. So I've cut it out entirely and just replaced it with this message to say that my first prediction in 2021 is that based on the current status, I don't think that my dry aging experiment will be a long one. We'll we'll see, it's been been quite uh, an interesting project. But with that, uh, I'm going to get back to the episode. Uh, you,
1: you're you next So just given how things have been in 2020 Can you believe 2020 is over already? Almost
0: It cannot come too soon, my friend
1: <laughs> You're here So I think that people have gotten used to Working from home, working remotely mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think it's going to go away next year I think that things will still continue Even when we have a vaccine Even when it's widely distributed I don't think the workforce Is going to go back to the way it was before the workplace, I should say.
0: I uh, yeah, I completely agree. And by the way, if you if you haven't listened to our um, podcasts on the coronavirus, we do we did a few back at the beginning of the year, but we just in November we published two podcasts again with uh the wonderful uh Lindsay Schultz, MD MPH, who is um, you know, public health expert. And she first we the first podcast uh it was about Sort of the current state of things and the things that we know about the virus now that we didn't know, say nine months ago. And then the second one was about the the vaccines that you just mentioned, right? So as of this recording, we're still a, they have now applied for emergency use authorization for two of them, and we're we're awaiting that. We're expecting it to go through because all of the stuff looks great. So theoretically, based on what we're being told, that by the time you hear this episode, they may be beginning the first injections to high risk people like frontline workers and things like that. Um, But, and so it's going to be a quarter or two before the rest of the world gets it. And I guess what you're saying is that even after that, (laughs) even after that, you think that there will be more people working from home. I do think, uh, so I have, I have a good friend that works at a bank and they were very anti-work-from-home prior to the pandemic, and they were forced to work from home because of the pandemic, and the boss has suddenly said, wow, like, I thought people would be less effective, but it turns out they're actually more productive in the you know, it, it, working from home. So I, I, I'm going to have to revisit this working from home thing. And I think you're right. I think that's going to happen all over the yeah. world. I think and, that and, a lot of con- companies that were anti working from home are going to. Yeah. And if you that. look
1: at sort of some of the large tech companies like Google and Apple and Facebook, right, they're sort of like, yeah, maybe it's just going to be a way because some of their employees have moved out of high cost areas like New York and San Francisco. And they're yeah. like, Why should I come back if it's so expensive when I can get work done? Now, the one thing I will say, though, is I think working remotely works when everyone's working remotely. I think things get a lot more difficult and unproductive when you have some people working in an office and some people on the same team working remotely. I think that's
0: where it gets more challenging. Agreed. Uh, You know, going back to that, that, that's a great, I'm really glad you, because now I'm flashing back to the early date because- I'm, oh, by the way, um, Prasanna and I do both work for Druva. This is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are ours. before the pandemic. I participated in a lot of meetings where I was one of two people that were remote and everybody else was in an, in a physical meeting. And it's not the same, right? When you're just basically listening in on a remote meeting. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to going back to that time when when that's the case. And so I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, but, uh, I, I, you are completely correct that it's not the same when most people are, are physical and then some are remote.
1: And and my guess is in the beginning, it's probably going to be a slow, process of bringing people back into the office maybe a couple days a week. Maybe they give you some flexibility for some people to work remotely and come in some days and they' they'll rotate who comes in when. So it'll probably be some disruption. But I think though that there will be a good majority of people who will be working remotely still.
0: Agreed. And I think until there is widespread use, widespread distribution of the coronavirus vaccine, normal is not going to look normal even <laughs> even if we're even if we're working in the office it's not we're not all going to be you know we're not putting 15 people in a conference room that aren't vaccinated
1: Yep. <laughs> that's
0: <laughs> not that, that's not happening so even if the people do go back to working in the office we'll probably still be having you know zoom meetings all the yeah. time
1: or it's like people who have like elderly folks like your mother-in-law right yep. that they're around you still want to be a little careful
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, we're going to try to get her the vaccine as quickly as we can.
1: And we also don't know the long-term effects of this vaccine yet or how long it's effective and everything else. So I think it's still early days, but I, that's why I think that working remotely will be around even into next year. Early days. Yeah. But you should go on to your prediction next, I think.
0: Yeah. So my prediction is, uh, sassify all the things. So we, we saw this, um, this year, where a number of backup providers, uh, I can think of at least, you know, f- five or six who came out with SAS versions of their backup product. Right. Um, I can off the top of my head. Let's see. I can think of I know. Um, uh, co- 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 oh, a, Cohesity did it. Uh, Comble did it. Um, what? who else do we have there? Um, it's, it's happening off the top of my head. Like just recently, there was another one.
1: Cohesity just came out. Yeah.
0: And of course, yeah. and so I think that that is going to continue, that we're going to see a number of these products. I My opinion about those products, you know, in general, like I'm not speaking specifically to any one product in general i i don't know what the right word here is i i am dubious about <laughs> the the long-term success of lifted and shifted Sassified backup products right um that we'll, we'll see again just like just like the the vaccine we'll see how this plays out long term but from what I understand about how the cloud works, and um, and I, I think it was verified by the episode with uh, Corn- Cornelia Davis that will broadcast before this episode, that you know she confirmed that if you just lift and shift, if you just take a straight product that's designed to run in a physical server and then convert it to run in a virtual server, and then just move that virtual server up to the cloud your costs will be significant. And that's what it appears most of these backup products have done, right? They did little to no uh, coding changes to their product and moved it into the cloud. And as a result, their cogs, as we say, um, which is cost of goods sold. Their costs will be high, and if their costs will be high, either one of two things is happening: either they're going to sell the product at a loss, uh, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute, or they're not going, to, or they're going to sell it Jack, at a very price. high price, <laughs> right? So, and so let's just look at those. So, it is my understanding that it is illegal in the U.S. to sell a product as a matter of course, for less than you make it. Um, uh, you know, is that I don't true? Know if, uh, again, it is my understanding that because it's considered an unfair business practice, hmm. right? It's something that, um or it, you could by say the way, that, or you all the say,
1: time. Yeah. Or you could say it's just not sustainable,
0: right? Because no, I'm, well, it, it's definitely not sustainable, Right. Um, but it's, it, it is, it's, it's considered a monopoly issue, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's, it's something that only we we can both agree, it's not sustainable. It's something on a long-term basis, only a very large company can do right. And, And I can think of some companies that you, you can probably think of some companies in this business who have been known for doing this. They want to get the footprint. And so they literally give away parts of their offering in order to get in the door and then they're going to do the land and expand approach, right? You can only do that if you're a big enough company and you can take the hit elsewhere, right? Or you can not take the hit elsewhere, you can recover from the hit with your other products, right? In other parts of your business. But it is my understanding that it is, um, as a matter of like, it is illegal in the u.s it's considered a, an unfair business practice for a large company to sell a portion of their portfolio for less than it costs them to deliver that product another editor's note here i, I did a little research after recording this episode on this concept of predatory or below cost pricing companies sell things below their costs all the time they do this uh, for things like sales and, and you know a variety of reasons the Concern when it comes to in the United States, and and there there I found articles in in other countries as well. But I'll just speak to the U.S. The concern in the U.S. is if this is being done in an anti-competitive way, meaning if you're a large enough company, as I gave the example, if you're a large enough company that can pick a particular product and price that product all the time below what it costs you to produce that product in order to knock out competitors. That's considered an anti-competitive practice. It's not the practice itself of selling something below cost that is illegal. It's the anti-competitive, you know, doing something in order specifically to knock out a a smaller competitor when you're a very large competitor. When I was in business school, there was a famous case uh, against the DuPont Corporation, which I actually went to University of Delaware, and DuPont is the state's, I think, second largest employer after the U.S. government. There was a famous, um, there's a a chemical a compound, I guess, uh, called titanium dioxide, which is the whitener in everything. So anything you can think of that is white, uh, it has been whitened by titanium dioxide, or perhaps maybe something newer than that, that that does the same thing. But back then, titanium dioxide was the thing that was used in Everything that you wanted to be white, DuPont Corporation spent apparently ten years in R&D to develop a product that was something like ten times purer or more potent than anyone else's titanium dioxide, and one tenth of the price of everyone else's uh, product. So basically, a product that was one hundred times better. Um, I'm kind of making up those numbers, but just to give you an an idea, that's, that's the way it was. It was both cheaper to make and more powerful. And overnight, they wiped out the market. They became the only producer of titanium dioxide. As I recall, they marketed as TI Pure. And the uh, the company sued for predatory pricing they're saying they're selling it too low they're selling this product for cheaper than you know they could possibly make it and therefore they're doing this as an anti-competitive practice the plaintiffs actually lost the lawsuit because dupont said hey we just worked really hard for a really long time and figured out how to make it better and cheaper Sorry, that's not anti-competitive, right? That's just really good business. And, and But it's just, it gives you an example that this concept of predatory pricing or selling a product too low on a very regular basis is frowned upon uh, and can result in either civil or legal action if that's happening on a very regular basis. Anyway, um, I'm gonna put a link to the FTC article that I read about this. And um, th- th- there is a summary statement at the end that says, although the FTC examines claims of predatory pricing carefully, courts, including the Supreme Court, have been skeptical of such claims. So it doesn't sound like it's something that's enforced very regularly. It, it's just, it does come to mind when I do think about larger companies coming out with products and then regularly pricing them for less than they could possibly uh, make money at. Anyway, back to the recording. And, anyway, so that, that's one thing that could happen. Um the second uh, thing that could happen is that
1: they're just going to charge you an arm and a leg which as a end customer mm-hmm. you're like I'll just go somewhere else that's cheaper that offers well, me better value right
0: but even but even then it could be for and, and again I'll and again I'm not saying that Comvault's going one way or the other here but a, a Commvault would be a great example so Comvault has an existing customer base a very large existing customer base and maybe some of those customers will want a SaaS version of the product for part of their computing environment, right? For, let's say, their remote sites. Maybe they're going to keep their data center with with the same old combo, but they're going to use the SaaS product for their remote sites because it's more effective or whatever. And But they want the same product in their on-prem and their off-prem or whatever. Uh, and so they're okay with it. They're, they're, they're not shopping around that product. They're, they want it to be the same. And so it's not so much a cost issue for them. So, but it does limit your market though, right? If you're, if you're, if you are a product that is selling your product at a price that's higher than your competitor and you're competing on a straight basis, your product better be way better (laughs) in order to justify that bigger price. And in a backup and recovery market, it's hard to do that. Right. Uh, you know, backup and recovery is pretty straightforward. There's some things that you have to do and some things that you need to not do. And no one really it, wants to focus on backup and recovery,
1: even though we love to talk about data protection, it's just something no, that they
0: have to do because they have to do it. They want it to just work. And, you know, I, I There are some things that have been added over to backup over time. I can think of things like, you know, DR as a service. I can think about automated uh, disaster recovery testing or automated backup testing. I can think of things like reuse of backup data. Each of these things um, are extra value added features that you could potentially add on, but you would have to have a whole bunch of, if your product is twice that of the competitor, you would have to have a whole lot of those that they don't have in order to justify a bigger price. Anyway, but uh, but, I, but that is my prediction is that so, a whole lot of companies will come out of, with these products. And I
1: think I want to take your prediction and make it a little larger. I think just given where things go are. Go big or go
0: home, persona.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's even s- more SaaS products across a wider set of workloads and applications, not just for data protection. If you look at the adoption of Microsoft 365, if you look at the adoption of Snowflake, everyone is driving towards that SaaS model that they want to consume a service with. Yes. right. No one wants to manage products, infrastructure, deploy, manage, maintain software on their on-premises, especially if they can't get into their data centers today. And so I think we're starting to see kind of a forcing function, which is saying SaaS is a better model in a lot of situations.
0: Well, companies, that, companies like Druva that use SaaS products internally uh, had a much easier time transitioning to a remote workplace with the pandemic, for example.
1: Or even right. what we use for recording this podcast, right? Zencaster. We've been using yes. it for the last year and a half. But it's great. 70 because it's- episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been great, though, because we don't need to maintain any servers or anything else. So you just connect with our laptops no matter where we are, and it just works.
0: Right. Right. All we need is bandwidth. Yes. Um, <laughs> so... And I'm going to take your prediction of my prediction. <laughs> I'm going to take it and take it to the next level. Fine then. Guess, guess what I'm going to predict? There's going to be another major data loss incident with another SaaS wow. vendor. SAS. And again, this is not going to be the SaaS vendor's fault because we keep telling you back up your SaaS data. There have been multiple incidents. There's been one with, I can think of one with G Suite. I can think of one with Office 365. I can think of one with Salesforce. All of the SaaS products that we happen to support as a company all have had major incidents where one or more customers have lost significant amounts of data because they didn't back up their data because they thought that backup was included. And I I don't think that's going to... Change right. I, in fact,
1: in fact, it's just going to get worse as more and more people are throwing trusting their data in SaaS applications. This becomes more of an
0: issue. That's why I took your thing and, and ran with it because I agree with you. I agree that 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 people are going to satisfy all the things and uh, as many things as they can, <clears throat> and then um, they, as a result, there will be more data loss incidents. I I, I don't want to say I told you so, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean you know there, there are people who are out there preaching the opposite of me right that you know various products, Microsoft 365 being the the biggest example of this is there are people who are fans of Microsoft 365 who think that the data protection features that are built into them are fine for most folks. And uh, I completely disagree because why persona? Because it doesn't follow the 321 rule of backup. Exactly. It ain't backup if it ain't somewhere else, I'm sorry. I don't care how good it is, it ain't backup. Anyway, all right, so what's your next uh, prediction? So it's
1: not so much a prediction because we're already starting to see it deployed, but I think there's going to be, there are disruptions in the hardware side of things, which are going to lead to interesting use cases, especially around data protection. Um, Two examples I can think about, um, the first is 5G, Everyone saw the deployments of or the release of the new iPhones. Um, You're starting to see the releases of the new Samsung Galaxies earlier this year as well. And now 5G is becoming available everywhere with high bandwidth, um, allowing you to do things you weren't able to do before remotely. Um, And this is going to lead to an increase in sort of IoT capabilities for industrial purposes, even at home, the amount of data you're pumping out is going up, the amount of data you're able to create, sharing videos, et cetera. So I think this is going to lead to more data being created and shared, which always brings up the issue about, okay, now, how do I protect it and make sure it's available?
0: Hmm. Uh, yeah, I I, I, I agree there. You know, it's funny <laughs> what you were talking. I immediately started thinking about, you know, 5G giving me cancer.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> you know, you know, that's a thing, right? Yeah. That people think 5G. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um,
1: so that's <clears> one <throat> thing that I think from a hardware perspective is one of the trends. And I think it's just going to get more prevalent. Mm-hmm. And you're going to start seeing, and this ties in back to the SaaS app thing as well. Once you start having those high speed connections, you no longer really need data centers as much. And with everything being in SaaS applications, now those SaaS applications aren't just about how do I provide Teams, how do I provide Teams and Zoom and everything else, but there's now other capabilities and people are going to start pushing more workloads to SaaS that were predominantly on-premises.
0: Well, it goes back to your first prediction, which is the continued remote workforce, right? So the, the more people that are distributed, as opposed to all sitting in one building, the more this idea of it's like all the predictions go together right yeah. so the, <laughs> the the if they're remote then bandwidth becomes much less of an issue because you know not everybody well now soon everybody can have high speed bandwidth you know why right why because of S- SpaceX oh so right, SpaceX has now launched their new and if you're not aware of this it's kind of amazing and, and, and it's because they, they've put up enough satellites that they're able to do basically high speed, low latency bandwidth anywhere you want it. Uh, all you need is a satellite dish, right? But that's usually downstream, right? No, it's both. Wow. What? It's amazing. We could probably have Matt on. Uh, so I have a friend who works for SpaceX and he I bet he would come on here and describe why it's I don't even know how it works, dude. Okay, we will save
1: that for a dozen.
0: Yeah, but but what I'm saying is, you will be able to have high speed, low latency bandwidth, literally anywhere. So even though, you know, cause this is a problem for rural communities and things like that. So everybody can live anywhere, work anywhere with high bandwidth. And then really all we need to do is get enough bandwidth to the things that are running in the cloud. So the, the push to have something in the data center will become much, much less, so then, so then, so that everything gets sasified, and then people end up losing data because they because they didn't back up their sas data. And then, what what was your prediction exactly? Like sum it up in a what was that last one? That five G is just going to be more data being created everywhere. Yes. And Yes. So basically, it's a five. I'm going to up. So again, I'll take yours and I'll say five G and. The SpaceX bandwidth, um, because basically everybody everywhere will have a ridiculous amount of bandwidth, which, of course, will just really result in more photos of
1: cats. (laughs) We all
0: need some good memes. We need some good memes. All right. So I think that's enough predictions for twenty. Well, I'll I'll make one more prediction. Every company that doesn't already have a Kubernetes feature will come out with a Kubernetes feature. (laughs) It's clearly achieved escape velocity at this point as a technology, right? I agree.
1: And it'll be interesting to see what the shifts look like and what applications are being built and how long it takes to get to that uh, critical mass, if you will. I know that there's still a lot of things lacking in Kubernetes just from uh, mm-hmm. data protection. Like they just came out with snapshots, CSI snapshots, not too long ago. Right,
0: right. So, we But covered- they're
1: growing rapidly. So I think mm-hmm. it's not like with VMware where it took time to get that adoption because there's a lot of things that have already been done and learned. And now it's about implementing and providing those capabilities.
0: We discussed, we actually had a Kubernetes expert on the no hardware required podcast that I also host over on Druva.com. It's, uh, and we talked about this. We talked about the 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 CSI, the container storage interface and how that the the emergence of that is starting to make things way better. A- and at the same time, it- it's not the only one that's coming out. So it's sort of, it's it's still a little bit of the wild, wild west, but I think it's getting better and better. And, and the more that happens, the m- the easier it becomes for, you know, companies like Druva to-, to to provide data protection. So I-, I-, I think that everybody's gonna come out with some kind of protection for Kubernetes. And, of course, related to that, uh, Kubernetes is just kicking butt. And, (laughs) you know, I realize they're not the only, you know, just like uh, a shout out to my free BSD friends. Right. Linux is not the only, (laughs) you know, free Unix based operating system. Right. Um, There will be other. Uh, things like Kubernetes and Docker. There are other things like Kubernetes and Docker and they're not all going to die tomorrow, but Kubernetes has clearly won this phase of the war. Yep. Um, so, all right. I think that's enough predictions for 2021. And, uh, I look forward to the vaccine. I really do. I, I, I would have, <laughs> I, I actually tried to sign up for a trial. Mm. Uh, I, 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 believe in these scientists that are doing all of these things. And I, uh, I am not, I am not one who's worried about the vaccine. I, I, I think, you know, all of the stuff that I learned in the podcast that we did with, with um, with Lindsay, uh, is great. And actually, I I picked up a few things via email after the podcast. So that I ended up putting in the podcast by reading the emails. So you don't know that part. Um, but is this your way and, of getting me to listen to the podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you that don't know, Prasada doesn't listen to the podcast. He's like, I already. I don't have to listen to it. I lived it. Um. So yeah. Y- yes. This one you have to listen okay, to. The I will part listen to two them. the vaccine episode. But uh, so uh, yeah, I will. The moment it becomes available for my mother-in-law, because uh, she's a high-risk person, we will make sure that she gets it. And the moment it becomes available to the general public, then I would be—I uh, will be getting on that that train. Um, and and I'm I'm super excited about the the history of that right. The the thing that we learned about the this research that that went on for 40 years, by the way, the woman that she mentioned, uh, yeah, you found Lundry her, mentioned, right? Yeah, she, um, her name's escaping me, but she was a research in Hungary, um, and she was basically laughed out of every place she ever worked. She was just she wasn't doing vaccine research. She just wanted to use RNA in the human body, and the problem I think, if I recall correctly, that it wasn't going well. Like Mm. the problem was if you put RNA again, this is, this is my, I'm not a scientist or medical person. It would like
1: break down, right. Is what I think
0: Lindsay was saying. No, like it was fatal. Oh, it it could kill you using RNA in a human body. So she was just laughed out of everywhere she ever worked. She couldn't get, she couldn't get grants. She couldn't get, so she, she couldn't get tenure because she couldn't get grants and, and, you know, and on and on and on and on. Anyway, she had a breakthrough uh relatively recently when you look at the fact that she's been doing this for 40 years and because of that breakthrough, these two um, RNA vaccines, the Pfizer and the moderna vaccine, were made possible and they are the first of their kind and'm I'm, I'm super excited for her uh, for science and, and I, I do hope she gets the Nobel Prize for that. That would be pretty awesome. So but here is to a happier 2021. Here's to a happier 21, 2021. I raise my virtual glass to you, sir. Mm-hmm. And have a happy new year, everybody. You too,
1: Curtis. And to all our listeners, thank you. And I hope you guys have a happy holiday.
0: There are something like 17 holidays between now and the end of the year. So happy holiday to whatever you celebrate. And thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all.
2: system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it. Instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. The system isn't worth the space emails from you remind me of when they keep me thinking that we could restore it all